The views and opinions expressed by the individuals in the following program do not necessarily reflect those of its producers, Metaphor Creative Media, its management, or affiliates. Police officers were witness to some of the most amazing things in life. Some comical, some horrendous, and some just plain miraculous. When asked why you went into law enforcement, most officers will tell you because it's like having a front row seat to the greatest show on earth. Today, we saved you a front row seat. This is Observations. From Broadcast Beat Studios in Oakland Park, Florida, Metaphor Creative Media presents a show that gives you a personal glimpse of what law enforcement officers see and do in their typical and not-so-typical day of work. From walking the beat to detective, Rob has 35 years of law enforcement experience. Although the staff are all active or former law enforcement, any views, opinions, and all other show content are in no way official views, statements, or policies of any law enforcement agency. To talk to our host, call the podcast studio toll-free at 888-511-COPS. That's 888-511-2677. Hello again, and welcome to Observations, your front row seat to the greatest show on earth. <coughs> I'm Rob, your host. We broadcast live every Thursday night at 7 p.m. from the Broadcast Beat Studios located in Oakland Park, Florida. If you have a question, comment, or a story you'd like to share, you can join in on the conversation by giving the podcast studio a call on our new toll-free number at 888-511-COPS. Here on Observations, we attempt to give you a personal glimpse of what law enforcement officers do on a daily basis. We'll also talk about recent events, happenings, and the latest hot topics pertaining to law enforcement that not only affects officers, but you, the general public, as well. Last week, my guest Fred and I touched on the horror and heartache caused by active shooters. Tonight, we're going to continue the conversation and offer some suggestions of what you might do should you find yourself in such a situation. What we're going to suggest is just a suggestion, okay? What you do at the time is you're going to have to decide for yourself what's a suggestion. This week, I have my friend and colleague, John, who I've had the pleasure of working with alongside for many years. And we're going to continue that conversation with the active shooter. But before we do, I'd like to ask uh, John, like I ask all my guests, What's the reason that you got involved in law enforcement? Money. <laughs> okay. I, I lost my job. Uh, I, I grew up always wanting to be an aircraft mechanic and uh, went to school for it. It actually came true in 1985 when I got hired by Eastern Airlines. And then by 1989, I believe, is when the, the big strike started. So that whole year we were walking the picket line. I became friends with some people who were in law enforcement and uh, kind of got interested in it, did some ride-alongs, and the sheriff's office made a big push to hire Eastern Airlines people that were looking for jobs, and I got hired uh, in 1989, in October of 1989, to work in the jail for a few years. Okay, 1989, and I met you back in uh, 2004 at, at the airport, I believe. That's right. We started working together. That's right. And... Uh, what do you enjoy the most about the job? 
I, honestly, I like the position I'm in now. I like being a detective. I like solving the crimes. It's and I like looking for people. It's for lack of any other term, it's the thrill of the hunt. And I know that there's a famous Hemingway quote, which if you asked me to say it verbatim, I wouldn't be able to do it. But it's something to do with there's... The hunting of men? Exactly. Yeah, I, I know the quote too, but I, I can't repeat, <laughs> repeat it either. So in 2004, met you. I met you at the airport. Um, shortly after I met you, I had gone into the uh, detective bureau. Right. And I remember it was a couple <clears> of years later. I believe it was, there was an opening, and I remember the sergeant at the time asked me who I would recommend for the position, and you immediately came into uh, my mind because of your, your tenacity. <laughs> okay. You're always very tenacious. Sometimes you're a little too tenacious. I don't know if that's, I don't know if it's that, but uh, I think I resisted you for a little while, didn't I? Yes, you did. You, you didn't want to do it. You were happy doing what you were doing, and... Uh, I actually think I made you guys' jobs a little bit easier because I went above and beyond probably what I should have investigated while on the road. You did. You may have given us a little more work than we actually wanted. (laughs) (laughs) I I remember there was a Christmas Eve, I think, at the garage. Yeah, we'll talk about that another time. (laughs) I remember that. What what do you dislike about the job the most? Um, The lack of uh, what I call, I perceive to be respect from the people that are so-called victims as people at the airport they make reports you attempt to contact them and you know leave message for them messages and they never call you back and it's it gets to be annoying after a while because you know they feel it's important to make the report they want something to uh happen with it and they want you to work miracles but miracles are only on tv and uh you know a lot of times if they don't even respond back to you it's very frustrating it's why make the report if you don't want any help so in other words you feel like you're chasing after people to follow up when they exactly you're getting back to you if they want results done exactly you know, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about the active shooter situation you said you, you and i both responded to the airport shooting back in 2017 after the fact and we'll get into that after but what I would like to do is, before we go into that, just talk about some things that have recently been in the news. You know, sadly, the New York City Police Department just experienced another loss. They had another officer commit suicide. He was number nine. He was the second in as many days. Um, you know, it's just crazy what's going on there. Um, nationwide, there have been 116 police suicides opposed to the 73 line of duty deaths. And it's bad enough when we have outside forces that are trying to kill us, but we're killing ourselves. Right. And right. it's, you know, it almost seems like there's an epidemic going on in New York, and it's it's got to stop. You know, I, I implore the people of the NYPD or all law enforcement officers, if you see a change in somebody that you work with, all of a sudden they become withdrawn or despondent, a change in somebody who's uh, usually jovial and happy and outgoing, you see that change, ask, ask a question. You know, what's going on? Right. There are signs that we may see that we ignore, we're afraid to get involved, but uh, we have to. Yeah, absolutely. Your mental health is just as important as anything else, and there's no shame in seeking help. And personally, if somebody told me they were seeking help, I wouldn't think uh, any less of that person. I would have no problem with that. In fact, I'd be happy that's making the person uh, well to do the job. No, it's horrible. You know, recently I I experienced it with somebody that I work with. Um, within the last year, and it was a shocker. There were absolutely no telltale signs that I had seen or anybody that I spoke to. Nobody saw any change in the demeanor or any change in anything. And when we found out, I, 
I remember I just finished up working. I got a call from one of the bosses at home to tell me uh, about the suicide, and I, I was shocked. It, it was just really <coughs> shocking. You know, there's there's help out there. Suicide, like they say, suicide is a permanent solution to a temporary situation. And there are agencies out there to help you, um, and you don't have to fear the repercussions from the job. One organization in particular is PAPA. They can be reached at 888-267-7267. And it's toll-free. The line's a man 24-7. Yesterday in the news, um, we had six Philadelphia police officers who were shot and wounded while executing a narcotics warrant. And thank God, um, none of them, nobody was killed. Mm -mm. I I mean, that that in itself was a miracle. That was absolutely amazing. I don't know if you saw the videos that uh, I saw earlier today of uh, the officers responding or uh, handling that particular incident. They were being taunted and uh, challenged to physical fights. It was absolutely disgusting. You have these officers that are going out there and they're putting their lives on their line to save the people in the neighborhood, to evacuate them and get them to safety. And, and you're right, after the fact they were getting taunted and things were thrown, I saw one officer was shoved from behind by a woman. And, right. Um, yeah, there's gotta be outrage, there's gotta be more outrage than the politicians and everybody is showing. It's, it's unacceptable, it's totally unacceptable. Yeah, times have definitely changed, my friend. Absolutely. And you know, one of the most dangerous things they can do is, is serving that warrant. You know, right. you take all the precautions, they had a SWAT team there. But you don't know what's on the other side of that door. Right. You really don't. And things can change in a heartbeat. It's one of the most dangerous things we do. Yeah. That domestic violence, car stops, those are, those are the unknowns. It's a different story when you're responding to a, a robbery in progress or, or shots fired. You, you kind of anticipate. You're Mentally, you're a little prepared. You know what you're getting yourself into. Right. But when you're serving that warrant, and you don't know what's on the other side. Yeah. It's... Hit or miss every time you go to one of these calls. Yeah. Another thing that was recently in the news the uh, was in the New York Post. Um, the New York City Police Department is conducting an internal investigation. There was a female officer that's alleging that uh, over a period of years, about five years, she, she's been the victim of rape, sexual molestation by her co-workers. Allegedly, they plied her with opioids, got her addicted, and threatened to expose her if she didn't meet with the, her sexual demands. Um, I, I kind of have a hard time with this This one. I'm not saying it didn't happen. It definitely has to be investigated. definitely has to be investigated. Um, but you're a police officer. You have a weapon. Um, you know, I, I don't get it. No, I agree with you. I agree with you. It just seems like uh, it's, it went on too long, too many people involved that other people should have known about it. It just, I, I don't know why she would do it. I'm not saying it didn't happen, like you said, but... It's just, uh, I can't put my finger on it, but there is something uh, that just doesn't sound right about it. No, so allegedly it went on for five years. She allegedly reported it, and it was swept under the carpet. She's alleging that was uh, EMTs involved, other police officers. Um, and the kicker is, there was a $90 million lawsuit that's being dropped on the city. And part of the story, it mentions that she even paid with the hotel with her own credit card. And she, she suffered bruises, and it just... Just doesn't sound right. Uh, just doesn't sound right. But in this job, I've learned one thing. Anything is possible in this job. I remember years ago, back in New York, we had the incident with Abner Luima, mm-hmm. was the plunger case. And when I first heard that story, I was like, "No way did that happen." You know, it, I thought it was impossible. 
Sadly enough, it was very true. It was right. very true in the officer was sentenced to 30 years in prison. And, and he right, should have been. Rightfully so. Yep. Yeah. Uh, on the lighter side, in uh, Kansas City, Missouri, the uh, police reported that a man was trying to elude police, and they were searching vainly for him. They couldn't find him, but he was betrayed by his own butt. Uh, <laughs> I heard about this, too. Yeah. <laughs> at, at some point, I guess he uh, passed gas in a very loud fart. Broke wind. Bro- broke wind, and uh, they were able to catch him. But that way, it uh, kind of they, they said the officers sniffed him out from where he was hiding, uh, but they didn't release his uh, identity. And the funny thing is, nearby Clay County's office got wind of the arrest, right? And they uh, turned it into a cautionary tale, advising anybody who uh, is thinking about committing any crimes they may want to watch their diet, and not eat any any beans or anything that's gassy. I, no need for a canine in that situation. No, absolutely not. You can either. F- Look for the noise or follow the, uh, follow the scent. Yeah. Also recently in uh, Massachusetts, I guess there was a, a uh, heat wave. And they were um, talking to the criminals, asking them to stay inside. It was, it was too hot to commit crimes. <laughs> Temperatures were hitting 102 degrees. <laughs> and the heat index, uh, you know, it was through the roof. It felt, made it feel like it was 115 degrees. And they said anybody committing crimes, that's would. Uh, the level would come up to like henchman level. You yeah. know, you'd have to be really out of your mind to do something like that. Yeah, it's been hot. Yeah, it's been hot there. Also in uh, Montgomery, Texas, the same thing. They were advising would-be criminals to stay inside because of the heat. Read a book, build a blanket, a uh, fort blanket, uh, go see the Lion King movie. You know, yeah. just Do just something useless, uh, useful for a change. Yeah, absolutely. Get out of the heat. Give everybody a break. John, getting back to the uh, active shooter scenarios. When... I responded to the airport. It was after after the fact. The shooter was already in custody. Um, When I first got there, I was originally assigned to a traffic post just to try to help with the traffic. And eventually, I made my way into the terminal and did what detectives do. I immediately canvassed the area for witnesses, uh, took statements. And I remember there was um, a young man who was in the bathroom. And somebody told me this guy in there who, who had been shot when he went to the bathroom. Young guy, he was in his 20s. He had a backpack on. He was actually shot in the back, in the backpack, and he had a laptop in there. And the round, when it hit the backpack, it gouged the side of the uh, laptop. And it just wasn't his day. You know, I said to him, this is your lucky day. You may want to go play lotto. Yeah, you know, right. was Definitely, definitely. Um, yeah, I got tasked with, uh, I think you brought it up last week or the week before with... Uh, I wasn't there that day either, but I got there about 45 minutes after it happened. And uh, me and you used to work in our office. We had that television screen that shows access to all the cameras within the airport. And when the FBI took over the the investigation, I was tasked with helping them uh, preserve 12 hours from 12 p.m. till midnight. 12 hours of video from each individual camera within the entire airport, which was probably over, I would guess, 3,000 cameras. And uh, just, you know, you really didn't, you you saw the guy take the gun out of his belt and he did the first couple of shots, but um, the difficult thing was watching afterwards when we had to go through it and try to piece together what happened and we could move the camera. And I remember that just before the shooting, uh, this couple was coming, uh, they, they flew in on vacation to celebrate her, uh, the husband's 90th birthday. 
uh, for a cruise, and uh, I, I remember the lady's name. Her name was Olga, and uh, she was being helped in a wheelchair by a skycap. Her husband was walking next to her, and, uh, you know, you see her happy, smiling. There's not a care in the world on her faces, and then you happen to glance up at the timestamp on the video, and you realize they, the woman really literally has 30 seconds left in her life. And, uh, you know, uh, that's one of the things that bothers me the most is seeing these people all happy and not a care in the world. And uh, we've both seen bodies. We've both seen crime scenes. You know, body t is a body. Right. Um, crime scenes are bad, you know, no matter what they are. But you get used to them. But this was something different where uh, you... Uh, just I, actually, I had to keep replaying it over and over for what we were doing, but then eventually it was like it it just got burned into my mind and it it bothered me still bothers me to this day and i can't I can't help but think about it every day because my office is still in that terminal yards from where the shooting occurred so it's 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 a difficult thing yeah Pe something that people don't see. No, they don't. You know, and I can hear the emotion in your, in your voice yeah. as, you, as you're talking. And, you know, you go to a scene, like you said, we, we've all seen the bodies, and you almost become uh, robotic. You know, it has to be done, and you, and, and you do it. You become robotic, and you try to be as compassionate as possible. And I remember at the airport, too, while I was doing some of the interviews, there was a woman there. And uh, husband was 62 they also flew in for a cruise and while they were standing there he, he was shot and killed and one of the deputies put me in touch with her and I, I didn't know what to say to her you know what, what do you say and I didn't want her to have to keep repeating her story so I had to have a seat you know I had to take a seat I said listen you know relax if you need anything at all just call me other detectives will get in touch with you there's no need for her to keep repeating and repeating um, it, it said but you you know, you become callous or you become cold, but it's a job that you have to do, and you have to do A, B, C, and D. You know, John, I remember um, while I was in the, the terminal, um, all of a sudden a call came nine, over 911 that there was somebody in the concourse on the second floor in Delta that needed medical attention. And myself and some other officers, we responded along with fire rescue. And the terminal had already been cleared, but now we had to go back in and redo it. And it was a very eerie feeling. It was very surreal. So I remember when we got into the terminal, there were there were bags, there was luggage strewn all over the place. There were tables that had food, there were drinks that were knocked over, there were pocketbooks left behind. And when you, when you looked at it, you could just visualize the panic and the stampede of the people trying to get out of there. Um, not only you know what you saw, but I saw a lot more on the surveillance video because, as you know, there was false reports of gunshots in different terminals which it was just like a domino effect um, people would run and uh, you know they'd see the people running and they don't know what's going on but they see people running so they're gonna run and and do the same thing and it was just like once I think uh, I believe it was terminal 3 was the next terminal to dump after the the reports and then it went to terminal one and, and then it went and, to terminal the people four. running from terminal three ran towards four and when four saw that they all ran and uh yeah some of the things i saw in the video of people and humanity it was just unbelievable and i and i want to touch on that because sadly as uh, human nature is there were people <coughs> who took advantage of the situation right yep. okay and yes. um they saw it as an opportunity to steal and i know there were numerous theft reports that, that were taken from pocketbooks, things was taken from pocketbooks, missing luggage, and uh, 
you know, it's just amazing. I'll be honest with you. I think we got kind of lucky with that because I, if I remember correctly, it was mainly uh, Terminal 2 yes. that got hit. Mm-hmm. And uh, we worked on that for a few days afterwards, and we were able to identify the whole group of uh, airport workers that did take advantage of uh, the situation, and they were all... Um, they were all justly charged or correctly charged. It was, um, yeah, it was just, it was unbelievable to see that. You just see it on the video and you see them, you know, they're there to try and help people in their jobs every day and work on the planes, whatever they did. And just, it was like a free for all. It was almost like when, when they had the blackouts and the looting took place. It was just an opportunity to steal. Yeah. It's just, uh, yeah, it's crazy. And, the the police response was overwhelming. Yeah, uh, I mean that that was uh, a sight to be seen. We had agencies from Miami, I believe, Palm Beach. I mean, God, there had to be at least Miami Dade. Yeah, Miami Dade coworkers that we, you know, Steve uh, from Miami Dade PD. Most of the airport detectives from Miami Dade came up and said, "Whatever you need, uh, we're here for you." Um, there was a lot of. Uh, Man, that, yeah, there was just there was no way in and out of the airport. A lot of the SWAT teams actually had to jog for a few miles to get into the airport. If I'm not and if I'm not mistaken, I believe Miami SWAT the Miami SWAT team even came by helicopter. I don't if remember I, that. If, if I'm not mistaken, I, I, you know who knows? Maybe I'm making it. There up. There were so many things that happened that day, and I remember when I I was in my office and I was doing my work, and you know you have your radio on and then you hear all these what turned out to be the false reports of more shooters and stuff well i, I was there and it's it, funny it raises the hair on the back of your head well it, it did and i'll tell you especially why because it's, it's one thing when a call comes in over at 911 shots fired right okay um a lot of times it's unfounded but i remember being in the terminal and it actually came over the radio from one of the police officers there were several reports of shots fired so at that point, you really don't know what's going on. Is there more than one shooter? Exactly. Um, is this a terrorist? We didn't a coordinated we didn't attack. We didn't know what it was, but there were a couple of incidents. Shots fired. So it was. But the nice thing to see was how the law enforcement community, different agencies, different jurisdictions, we, we came together as one. And I'm talking about police departments, sheriff's departments, uh, customs, DEA, FBI, anybody who was in the area. You had guys that... Heard what was going on. I think even responded. They were off duty. Yes. And suited up. I was off duty. Okay. Perfect example. I was off duty. And I got there after everything, like 45 minutes after the first shooting. But when I heard that radio start going with more reports of shooters, I lie. I was scared and worried. So I ran out back out to my trunk and I grabbed my, my tactical vest, my gear, my rifle. And I figured we're going to make our last stand here in this office where... The actual suspect was. We weren't know. We didn't know if they were actually trying to come to get him or what was going on. So it was just pretty chaotic. And you know, when the shots came out, it's when I responded from where I was, and I had my radio off at the time. I was taking a tape statement from somebody who was the victim of a crime, and my radio was off. And as I fin- was finishing up the statement, all of a sudden I heard all the sirens taking off from where I was, and I turned on my radio, and that's when you could hear the chaos. Of what happened, I, I too immediately jumped in my car. I didn't have time to put on my vest. I just jumped into my car and I went to the airport. And w- where I was, I knew the shooter was already taken into custody and started doing the interview. So I felt relatively safe until I heard oh, shots fired. And my vest at the time was in the trunk of my car, <laughs> which is out front. I was like, okay, I got to get my vest. And the first opportunity I, I 
had, I threw it on. And I remember we were driving, they thought they had somebody um, near Terminal 1 in the, in the bushes. I mean, it was, it was crazy. It was mayhem. They thought they had somebody, uh, I don't know how this information came to Fort Lauderdale, but supposedly there was a, a male that uh, fit a certain description that possibly had a, a explosives in a backpack. Right. And uh, they found him. I think they actually detonated the bag. It turned out to be nothing. They, but they dedicated. I mean, they, you know, they, they blew up the bag next to the train tracks just east of the airport. And uh, yeah, but man, you 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 would not believe the things that I saw in the video. Where you know, it's such a breakdown of humanity and people running over elderly people, knocking over handicapped people in chairs not even bothering to help children and, and you know these were people tasked in positions where that's what they're supposed to be doing uh, I understand you know it's a different situation you're afraid for your life but there has to be some sort of basic humanity there I, I saw people r jumping off open jet bridges going down the baggage belts it was it was one of the most unbelievable uh, situations that I've ever been involved. It's almost every man for himself. Exactly. You know, we all know the aftermath of uh, the active shooters. Um, you know, things. What if anything can we can we do to prevent it? You know, is, is there any way to prevent it? I mean, if somebody's hell bent on doing it, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. But you know, what, what precautions do you think the, the public can take? Well, it's the typical know your know your surroundings, know where you're at, have a plan, have an escape route. Um, if you carry uh, and you have a concealed weapon permit, all the better, you know. Uh, I wouldn't go suggest uh, going out and engaging the threat, but I would, you know, if you're not a law enforcement officer, I would definitely, families first, you know, families first, get them safe somewhere and protect your family is what i'd say if if you can't run and get out of there well then the next step is to hide and the very last and the thing you really don't want to do is fight absolutely you, you know like you said know, know your surroundings <clears throat> have a plan have a predetermined meeting place if you get separated by your family members you know be, be aware of your surroundings same thing if something looks out of place if, if you see somebody something that just doesn't look right you know you know they say see something say something it's so important today yeah even have a have a code word for just your family that your family knows if you're out in a mall or movie theater wherever you are and you know you pick up on something being a law enforcement officer just say that code word to your family everybody knows okay that's it not a joke let's get up and go no matter what absolutely you know with people have to start doing is almost like thinking like police right you know, th think like exactly if you go someplace if you're in a restaurant that know where the exits are exactly know, try not to sit with your back to the door so you can you can see what's coming in you know if you see somebody on a, a hot day and they're dressed uh, abnormally you know a, lo a long coat that's a warning sign unfortunately there's a it seems like there's a fashion trend that i see down here too as hot as it is you see all these kids walking around with these hoodies and uh, I just don't know how they do it. Hey, guys out there, you know, this is a pretty important topic. If anybody's got any comments or questions or you want to join in the conversation, you know, give us a call, 888-511-COPS. You can also instant message the show on Facebook as well. But we'd love to hear from you, your comments, any suggestions, any stories that you want to share. You know, now, now's the time to do it. You know, John, the thing is, uh, like you said, three things you have to do is run, hide, and fight. If, if you can get out of there, 
I mean, run. Know your surroundings. And the thing is, too, know the difference between cover and concealment. Exactly, yeah. Most people don't know that. Concealment is what it is, just basically hiding. It could be concealing yourself behind curtains, but curtains aren't going to stop a, a bullet. And uh, that's basically the difference between cover and concealment. Concealment is a big piece of concrete, steel, an engine block, something that you can crouch down, make yourself as small as possible, and hide behind, and uh, you, hopefully you don't get hit. Right, and the uh, cover would be get behind something solid. Exactly. Something that's that's impen- what I was yeah, to say. Impenetrable. Something that, uh, you know, they always tell us to get behind an engine block if you can. You, right. You, if you can use the car for cover. Um, but you have to know a uh, evacuation route and, and put as much distance between you and the shooter as possible. Um, and if you, if you can't run, you, you know, like you said, hide. And uh, find a room, lock the door, barricade Barricated. it, right? yep. shut the lights, uh, turn your cell phones off. Yeah, you know, not off, but silent them and, and put put them on vibrate. Even uh, just silence them where mm-hmm. there is no vibration. Uh, uh, just you know, don't answer the phones. Don't you know, let them ring. Let them ring all day. Let or let them vibrate all day. As long as you're alive, you'll be able to talk to these people later on. And you know what? You can go online now. There's so many ingenious things, products that would, uh, if you work in an office that has a door that opens one way or another, there are these for lack of any other term, clamp-type things that you can buy and they're inexpensive. And if you know something's happening, you just slip it over. Uh, I forgot what they call the uh, thing at the top of one of those automatic doors that opens and closes, but it locks it, and it's pretty indestructible. You can't really get into a room. It locks it. I've seen them. Um, yeah. You know, and as a last resort, fight. Yeah. And... Use anything you can as a weapon, no, no matter what it was. And when you fight, it's got to be aggressive. Oh, yeah. It's got to be the fight of your life. Like, uh, it, it, you, you're working to save your life or somebody else's, and it's not going to be me. It's going to be that person, and you do whatever you can. And uh, pick up, whether it's a garbage can or even a, a computer, a monitor, something fire like that. Fire extinguisher. And fire anything. extinguisher is a perfect example, yeah. Fire extinguisher you is know, a perfect example. Absolutely, and you have to commit to your actions. You're, exactly. You're, if you're going to do it and you commit to it, you got to follow through with it. Because if you waver as you start to do it, it's it's not going to work out well. Absolutely, absolutely. And what people have to realize when law enforcement actually does respond, their initial response is going to be to the shooter. Exactly. Okay, and uh, the mission is to <coughs> shop, uh, stop it, to neutralize it. Yeah. Yep, yeah, no, it's, uh, people should know that also, you know, what our role is, and hopefully uh, they understand that the first guy's coming in, as long as the uh, suspect is still shooting, the first officers that are responding, are, they're literally walking into hell, and they're simply going in there to stop the shooter, and whatever they see on the ground, wounded people calling out to them, people, you know, bleeding in very poor condition, we d- we just can't stop them. We just have to you know help stop to help them. We have to go and engage the shooter and kill the shooter, and that's the primary mission. And then once we confirm that the shooter or shooters are down, then we can start triaging and treating uh, you know the most wounded people. Yeah, abso- absolutely. Um, you know, people have to realize too when the police response is there, and 
actually make sure you have nothing in your hands, keep your hands up, right. and follow all instructions yes. of police officers because they don't know who you are if you're exactly. part of the situation. You know, are you, were you an active participant yeah. or are you a victim? Uh, look, Nicholas Cruz ran out and blended in with the kids, even though everybody knew that he was, uh, you know, had some mental issues. He still ran out and blended in with the kids, even after committing the, the, the shooting at Stoneman Douglas. So that's why we get there. We don't know who anybody is. You just, just comply. And it's like everything else in this world. Comply. You, you got, there's a time later on down the road that you can address it if you don't feel uh, you're properly treated or you got a ticket or something else. The easiest thing is to comply because that's all we want you to do. It's an extremely dangerous situation. You walk up to a car at night. You don't know what's in the car. And, you know, people don't obviously don't like getting tickets, but... Easiest thing to 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 make sure everything happens right and everybody goes home at the end of the night is just comply. It's as simple as that. You may not like the situation, but comply. It's for safety for you and the officer. For everybody. Yeah. You know, and, and I, I preach that, and I, I so wholeheartedly believe that if you comply, uh, everybody's going to be okay. Nobody's going. Nobody should get hurt. You exactly. Know. And and this, you know, there's one thing I want to say too. You know, I've worked. I'm finishing my 30th year now. You've got 35. Has there, any, has there ever been a time when you woke up or you know friends, you know, that, that worked with you? And I have never, ever, ever heard of anybody wanting to get up as a law enforcement officer that morning with the intent to shoot anybody. No, absolutely not. And people get this false opinion out there in the, uh, in the news, in the news uh blows it up and it, it doesn't happen like that yeah there's bad eggs all over the place but there's no cop uh gets up in the morning with the intention of killing anybody no and what people don't realize too is the effects that it has on some of these offices oh yeah is forever yeah exactly exactly it's not an easy thing you have to be prepared to take somebody's life absolutely and, you know and, and there have been incidents in the past and it's happened all over the place where a gun, a toy gun, a fake gun, that looked like a real gun, uh, and the officer was forced to make a decision. Am I, am, I going, am I going home? Am I gonna wait to be shot to determine whether or not that's a real gun or not? No, that happened to me. I stopped a kid, and I wasn't even working. I saw a kid in my complex. He was riding a skateboard, and he kept, he kept pulling this gun in and out of his pants. And I stopped, I snuck up behind him and basically tackled him and pulled it out and determined that it was a, it was a BB or pellet gun. And, you know, I wasn't happy with him. I took him up to his mom and dad and explained, and hopefully that was the end of it. But, you know, a, a, an average officer driving by and seeing this... Oh, it could have ended very differently. Would have ended very differently, very fast, too. Absolutely. Um... It's, it's it's crazy. It's crazy. You know, it's changed now. The guns, where they try to make them, they put the red cap on the end so it looks like, you know, oh, well, it's a fake gun. But you have right. these guys that go out and, and they paint. Right. They paint them red or they paint them green. Right. There was somebody who came up. We were all familiar with the Super Soaker water guns. And there was somebody who had a, a shotgun. It was a sawed-off shotgun, but they kind of built these plastic pieces around it to make it look like a water gun. You know, and God help the... Uh, you know, whatever this guy was intent on doing, if you saw, well, well it's, it's a toy. It's a I also resent these guys, these uh, 
so-called uh, First Amendment rights people that try to go out and antagonize the police and and they make a big show of it with the camera and it's you know it just makes our job harder it distracts us from helping other people and it it, it really is to me they're making fools of themselves yeah and it makes our other job that much harder exactly you know, you get these people say, oh, you don't have to comply with them. You don't have to show them your idea. Right. You don't have to do this. Right. You know, the sovereign citizens. Yeah. I, I haven't had any experience with them. Um, we have at the airport. Have you? They'll show up at the airport. They'll uh, they'll go to, you know, you, when you get on the TSA line, you go up to the TSA officer and you're asked for your boarding pass and ID, and they'll just give their boarding pass, and they say, well, we're not required to give a ID. I'm a sovereign citizen. And it goes back and forth for a little bit, but... Most of the time, they're just turned away and denied boarding their flight and going through the checkpoint. Have you had any personal experiences with any of the sovereign citizens? Only at the airport. Okay. Only at the airport. It's amazing. Hey, you know, you don't have to fly. Yeah. You, know, you can tell exactly. me hey, you don't want to comply. You don't have to exactly. fly. Exactly. You know, exactly. Take a bus. You know, it's so funny how people have forgotten 9/11, and uh, I'm, I don't know. It's almost 20 years now, I guess. And uh, people, I'm amazed at the people at the airport that are still upset with the searches that they have to go through. And it's for them. It's for their safety. It's not something that we ever wanted to do. It was, it was thrust upon us. You know, and, and it's funny that you mentioned it, too. And I used to love to hear it all the time. Oh, do I look like a terrorist? Oh, oh, oh she's 80 years old. Does she look like a terrorist? You, you tell me, what, it, what does a terrorist look like? Anybody. Yeah. Anybody and everybody who's a terrorist, anybody who's intent on doing something. And unfortunately, there are these different groups and they, uh, children, you know, when they make martyrs out of their kids, uh, where they strap the explosive and, they blow, and they're proud that my son is a martyr and right. he's going to get all these virgins when he gets to uh, heaven. And, and the terror groups all uh, financially compensate them, too, for doing it. It's absolutely amazing. Yep. Yep. John, we're going to talk about scams, but another thing that happens, a lot of people are victims of themselves. You know, a lot of people, a lot of times what they'll do is if they're going to the gym or they're going someplace, um, well, especially the gym, a lot of times they want to bring their pocketbooks. The women don't want to bring their pocketbooks into the uh, gym and they'll leave it in the trunk. And a lot of these criminals today, they know that a lot of women don't want to bring their pocketbooks in. So what they'll do is they'll break into the vehicle, pop the trunk, and then take possession of the pocketbook, obviously, you know, the credit cards and driver's licenses. Yeah, um, it's not only the park. Uh, I, you know, I don't know how long law enforcement agencies have been preaching this stuff. Uh, they keep preaching it and telling people and telling people, yet get tons and tons of these calls of burglaries to a vehicle where a purse was taken and ID was eventually used down the road. It's not, it's the parks. It's the dropping the kids off at the daycare the shopping malls the supermarkets it's basically they know they know how long somebody's going to be when they go in there even you know graveside services at funerals i've seen that too i worked a case where a guy broke into cars and had id um, that was removed from people that were attending a funeral service and that lady's cards got compromised and they were using her cards down the road luckily uh we worked on that one pretty hard for a while and we got everybody the main players locked up and they were locked up for at least eight years i think some of them are still in jail prison 
Another big thing that there was the gas stations. Uh, oh, yeah. And, and women, in particular, you, are most of the victims in this, when they're pumping gas, what they'll do is they leave the car doors open, they're pumping gas, and these guys have perfected it. They'll pull up alongside the vehicle, very carefully open up the door, grab the pocketbook, and take off. And by the time the woman's you know, done pumping the gas, they're gone. Yeah, uh, yeah. And speaking of pumping gas, it's a scam also. These... Uh these credit card readers that they go and they attach to the the, the real reader and it, it looks like a real reader when you put your card in, but it's really uh, it's really capturing the credit card number and all the information that's on that card, um, and it's either wirelessly transmitted to somebody sitting you know nearby or it's stored, and they come back and get it. And plus, you know, I always I do it religiously is when I go to use my card and. ATM or a place where you can use a credit card, I always grab a hold of uh, the slot. To make sure it's secure. Yeah, to make sure it's secure. People might think I'm crazy the way I'm pulling on it and this and that, but... Uh, well, you're always pulling on it, but I don't know about the credit <laughs> card reader. You yeah. Know, so. yeah, but not only... Yeah, but I... I, I wow, well, now you screwed me up. But anyway, <laughs> but but you, you do check it to make sure it's secure. It's not something that shouldn't be there, but also even if you find that nothing's there, I always... Uh, cover my my pin number it's in case there are cameras yeah you know and uh, I've actually taken classes on this and it, it these guys are so good that they can actually hook it up within a minute oh, yeah. they, they are so fast yeah and uh, like you said wirelessly they do it too and there are things too you know people go through these drive-thrus whether it's a fast food restaurant uh, and I'm always leery of that ha handing them my my, my card because I can't if I can't see what they're doing, I'm, I'm just very leery. I'd rather go inside where I can actually see them swiping the card. We've actually had that at the airport with, I think, some uh, sky caps outside. That, you know, occasionally, it's not, it's not anything that's rampant. It's very rare, as a matter of fact. But, you know, you go in there and you pay for your, you know, a lot of airlines charge you to, you know, your baggage fees. So you give the guy your card. And it's been very few, I'd say less than five, where we've had cases where we've determined that credit cards were compromised. Well, I remember when I was at the airport, there, there was a, uh, a guy, and what he was doing is these girls were making minimum wage, and he offered them $50 for every credit card that they swiped. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it was a pretty big case. I believe the Secret Service got involved in it, and it, it runs rampant. It's, you know, it happens everywhere. My son was actually a victim. One time at the airport, he was flying out from the airport, and uh, when he checked his card while he was still in the airport, he had purchased something, and within that with that within that time frame, the card was used in Georgia. Yeah. So they, they are so advanced. Fast, very fast. Um, in fact, you sent me that link for the Equifax. Uh, right. Yeah, the I'm, data breach. Yeah, I'm going to get into and that. I checked my name, and his my name was in there. My information was compromised. So. I followed the instructions on that, and uh, yeah, all right, and then, well, that's perfect lead. And you know, recently there was a, a security breach in Equifax, and uh, people were, to see if you were affected. There's a website you can go to. It's ftc.gov/backslash/equifax, and you'll find out if your information was uh, compromised. And uh, that happened back in September of 2017. And it, when you go to that website if it's determined that you were a victim there are also benefits that you can give i believe they'll pay you up to 125 dollars but that's split by god knows how many people so right you, you may end up with a, a dollar you know or 50 cents but they'll also offer you i believe a year of free monitoring service right and you know what um 
you can get free monitoring service through a lot of your credit cards. I think even AAA does it now. I happen to pay for, uh, you know, there's two big ones. I don't know if we're allowed to mention them or not. Yeah, go ahead. But uh, the one I use is Identity Guard. Okay. And um, I'll, I'll tell you, I've had some situations where they do quite, uh, credit inquiries on my uh, on my account. And within seconds, I get texts and emails saying, hey, is this legitimate? Somebody's, and they can shut it down quick and... I know my my information's out there, but for some reason it's not being used for criminal activity. So, and, and some banks are better than others. I know. I'll, yes. get, I'll get notified by uh, my bank if they see something suspicious or right. uh, a certain amount of charges. And if I'm not in my home state, you know, I'll get a text message. They want to verify, it, make sure it's me. So it was, that's pretty good. Um, but there are also already fake websites out there yes. with, the, with this Equifax thing. So people, right. you really got to be careful. And you go to the FTC's page at ftc.gov backslash Equifax. And uh, remember, you'll never have to pay to file a claim with right. them. So if people are charging, it's uh, most certainly it's a scam. Any big company that, uh, that you know, you got these companies that call you and they prey on the elderly. And they, uh, there's no company like the, the IRS or anybody that's going to call you and ask, for your personal information over the telephone, and they're not going to ask for your, you know, your your uh, birthday. They're not going to ask for your social security number. Uh, if they're doing that, it's a scam. Hang up right away, immediately, and contact you know the appropriate authorities. Um, you have that. You have uh, people calling and saying they're from Apple Technical Support or Apple uh, or. Windows, Windows, Microsoft Windows is the big one now. And they're trying, they're just trying to, you know, it's like fishing. Absolutely. They're, they're going to be out there for hours and hours and hours still doing the same thing and uh, until they get the fish they want. Well, absolutely. They're playing the odds. You know, it's funny. I had received a phone call on my work cell phone, okay? And uh, it was somebody telling me that it was, it was the IRS and that my information, there was some fraudulent activity. And I need to call them back immediately. Went to my voicemail. I need to call them back immediately. So, you know, I played the message. I said, oh, th th this should be some fun. So for shits and giggles, <clears throat> I called up. And I'm speaking to somebody with, with a heavy accent. He's telling me that my information has been compromised. And I need to verify it. I said, well, you know, you called me. You should be able, <laughs> you should be able to verify it. Oh, and they were, no, no, no. We need, we need you to verify it to make sure that we have the right information. And I told that point, I identified myself, and the uh, phone was hung up immediately. Yeah, and it was it was click. You know, there are also uh, I know that the uh, the big phone companies are starting to uh, try to crack down on it now. And I also, like I said, I'm not trying to endorse any products here, but I downloaded an app called uh, Robo Killer. Okay, and it, it it is I would say 95% effective in in stopping these phony calls and it's all built up on a database database that other users like me would enter and say hey this is a bad number well, it goes on the list well here's what happens too and people have to realize people are allowed uh they, they can spoof numbers now right exactly okay and i get it all the time they'll call you from a number that's similar to yours so right away you're thinking oh, it must be somebody i know um and it's not usually some recording then if you go to call it back the number is is never good but they right. spoof them and half of these numbers don't even exist. Yeah, 
No, no, you're right. You're right. So, the thing I like about Robo Killer, though, the funny thing is that uh, it. If they don't leave a message, they don't leave a message. They're not actually leaving a message on the Apple message part of your iPhone, but they're leaving a message within the RoboKiller message. So it's funny because it, it's comedic. They sometimes they're able, sometimes the people will listen to what's going on on. I, they're called bots, and yeah. I have a series of different bots. And if if uh, somebody calls me, it's you know it's a scam. They end up starting to engage with the bot, and it actually records the, the you know, the, the the whole conversation. It's actually pretty funny. It's it's got to be. Yeah. You know, just want to go back to the IRS thing too, um, because the IRS will not call you up to tell you there's a problem. They want they'll notify you by mail. But uh, right. recently too, they're getting smart with that too. They've been sending out phony letters. You mm -hmm. know, th these people are getting letters that uh, to the average person look 100% legitimate. So you got to really be careful with that, folks. Um, Another thing that's out there, there's a thing called the uh, one ring scam. And what happens is a number will call you. It'll be a number that you don't recognize. It'll ring once. And a lot of people, what they'll do is automatically, for whatever reason, they think it's an important call and they'll call back. And they're actually getting told. They, they're getting charged for it. And the charges are pretty high. So, you know, if you don't recognize a number, don't, don't answer it and let them leave a voicemail. My wife yells at me all the time. But, I, you know, for some reason, I can't help myself yeah I, I usually answer this uh, you know what the other thing is too are these uh they call them ransomware attacks right and uh it usually happens you'll get an email that you think is legit and once you click on something within that email uh your computer system is basically held hostage so you won't have any access to anything and they'll contact you and uh, tell you how much it's going to cost you to get the computer unlocked and if you've read the news lately, a lot of big corporations and government agencies, I think Delray or someone up in Palm Beach got hit like that. It shut down the entire system. And rather than, uh, you know. That's right. They pay the ransom. They pay ransoms. Yeah. That's they right. pay ransoms. It's usually originating out of Russia. Okay. And uh, it's, it just keeps happening. It keeps happening. And if you see an email that looks like an email from your bank or something like that, um, you can always just take your little, uh, the little arrow or mouse pointer or whatever it is and hover it over the person that sent uh, or the email name of the person that sent it to you. And you can most of the time tell that it's, it's not like associated with, uh, if you've got a Macy's, uh, it's not from Macy's, it's something totally if you If you drop it down, you can see the rest of the address, right. the email. That's address. all you have to do. And you're not really hurting anything. You just... But don't you know, don't ever just delete it. Send it to your spam. Whatever you got to do, it'll it'll make your life uh, miserable if you ever open up one of those things. Absolutely. Uh, another great scam is these uh, fast credit repair companies. Yes. There is no fix for uh, fast easy fix or fast fix. Yeah, pay your bills. Pay your bills. Get a copy of your credit report. Check it out yourself. You, you know there may be some places out there that are legitimate, but you really got to be. Got to be careful with that. And you should check it out. You know, uh, take advantage of it. Uh, you know, there are also apps, too. I use Credit Karma. I can check it anytime I want to see if everything's going okay. Um, that's just the day, you know, the, the, the time and the day and age that we live in that we have to do this stuff. It's not like I remember just getting home from school and running out and no. riding a bicycle or getting into a snowball fight or something. The times have changed. Yes, they sure have. And, uh you know, changing time, so so as law enforcement, we yeah. have to evolve and learn to evolve. And it seems like they're always one step ahead. 
I love technologies. Nothing I like more than technology, and uh, I love it. I love getting the latest and greatest, but uh, technology really can be used for bad things, too. You know, a lot of times people go on cruises, the elderly people go on cruises, and sometimes it's an illness, their illness, or they're terminally, you know, terminally ill, and it's the trip is made as a last hurrah. I remember I was on one cruise, uh, my wife and I, and we were talking to uh, one of the crew members, and we were talking about a cruise line. It was one of these long cruises. It was like a 30-day cruise, and he was telling us a lot of these elderly people sometimes use that cruise as hospice. Right. They know it's going to be the last thing. They're not <coughs> coming back. Everything is taken fair, care, for, care for them. The meals, the cleaning, um, and it's that last hurrah. Right. And on that, you had something that may have been a, a last yeah. hurrah. Yes, I did. Um, it was one of those times where it was, uh, it was almost like a weekend at Bernie's type story. And still to this day, I don't know how it happened or why it didn't get caught before it did. But it was one of the months during cruise ship season, and I was working an off-duty detail. Um, about 10 o'clock in the morning, and I'm on my computer typing up some reports or something, and I have, uh, all of a sudden I look up and I see three TSA officers standing around me, just staring at me. And I'm looking at them, they're looking at me, and I'm like, oh, well, what do you need? What's going on? And one of them goes, well, we have a problem. So I close the computer, I stand up, I look, thinking it's a disturbance. I don't see any, anything. He goes, well, we have a problem. And again, he says, and I'll, well, I'm like, what's your problem? Tell me what your problem is. He goes, well, we've got a guy in a wheelchair over here and trying to go through screening, and we think he's dead. <laughs> and I looked at him, and I said to him, you got to be effing kidding me. This is not happening. <laughs> so I get up, I look, and checkpoints were set up a little bit different at that time. And I look from where I'm sitting. I'm only about 30 feet from where the guy is. And sure enough, I look at the, the holding area, and there's a guy in a wheelchair. He's got his arm in, in a sling wearing shorts and a hat on his head and is kind of looking down and uh, I start walking over towards him I saw another lady sitting in the the screening uh, handicap screening with him and uh, I get over there and I start to see I look him over and I see that there's already the lividity okay and uh, Why don't you explain what lividity is because some people might not know what it is lividity is when the heart stops pumping blood the blood starts uh, gathering at the lower parts of the body and uh, I saw that and I said well this isn't good <laughs> you know? it's not, not a good sign yes yeah, so I go over and I, I walk over to the man and I, I check his pulse on his neck and I go to check his neck and it's ice cold ice cold and uh, I try to raise his arm a little bit and he's stiff as a board <laughs> And I'm, I'm looking, I'm thinking, this is a joke. I know that the lady from Delta Airlines wheeled him down ahead of the line, put you, him are you in looking there. For, are you looking for the cameras at this point? Like, you're you getting yeah, punked? Lo yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's what it felt like. And um, so evidently what happened is they came off a cruise uh, over at Port Everglades. I, now, you and I both know that for a body to have lividity and uh, rigor mortis and to be cold... It, That'd be a while. A while. At least an hour, hour and a half, two hours. Um, so I'm not sure how this guy got off his ship, went through customs, was transported to the airport, and uh, was taken down by the 
Delta lady to TSA to be searched. Well, I, I, you know, I'm just guessing here. They probably put him in a wheelchair <clears throat> off the cruise, and then they got a handicapped taxi cab yeah. for, for the wheelchair and just load him into the back. That's exactly what it was. He yeah. did come in a van from one of, like one of the taxi van. vans, from what I understand. And uh, so I, I go over there, and now I'm, I'm looking at this lady over here, and I'm surrounded by thousands of people. And... Uh, I have to make it, you know, I know he's dead. Right. I know there's nothing I can do. So I call it out on the radio, you know. I have a Signal 7 here at Delta Checkpoint. Not, I didn't say a Signal 7. I have a 67. Uh, man's not breathing unconscious. Right. And a 67 is a uh, sick case. Yeah. yeah. So I take the wheelchair, um, start turn it around. I start to go put it in the, uh, at that time, if you remember, they had those, like, like a dressing room. Like for a private screening. Yeah, like for a private screening. And I hear another officer, Joe, get on the radio asking if he needs an AED. And <laughs> uh, I'm like, well, yeah, bring the AED. Because now everybody's watching us and they're expecting us to try and do something, do something with the guy. Should have gave him mouth to mouth. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, I op we open up the curtain. We bring the guy on the floor. Joe gets there with the AED. Open the guy's shirt. We're following all the procedures. Uh... I take out Joe starts putting the pads on. I get out the uh, the, the breathing tube, right. and uh, I, I look at Joe right before he even turns on the machine. I said, "Joe, the, the, we know he's gone, but we got to go through these motions because people are gonna, you know, they're watching us, and something's gonna happen. And they're gonna say we didn't do anything." Right. So we're going through the motions, and I have the mask, and I go to give. Um, the first breath to the guy tilt his head back go to put the mask on go to give the first breath uh, I was chewing a piece of bubble gum and I forgot about it and when I blew into there the, the tube the, the bubble gum went into the tube now it didn't go into the guy he just sat in the mask lodged in the it mask it would have been great if it would have uh, <laughs> went, went, went to his mouth it would have said you were uh, but you I had choked to death turn it over him. and knock that out and I remember that uh, you know Joe started the the AED machine and does it does what it calls it's analytical you know it analyzes right, analyzes, analyzes the, the bo body yeah so me and Joe are sitting there and we're waiting for it to analyze and you know the machine comes back no shock advised right. and I'm like yeah no no shit Sherlock you know sorry right. if I wasn't supposed to curse but yeah. but no shit right. but, and then um, uh, fire rescue came over and uh, they declared him dead there, and we had to keep him, treat it like a homicide scene at the checkpoint. But uh, to make a long story short, evidently he was a cancer patient. His wife, uh, that was the lady that was in the room next to him. And to this day, look, I'm not accusing her of anything or whatever. I mean, she was, when I told her her husband had passed away, she was pretty much... <laughs> she knew. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she was not affected by it. And... I said, she told me a story of the last cruise, cancer, and they were just trying to get home to Minneapolis. And I, I don't know, somebody put the thought in my head um, that it's cheaper to get a person onto a flight than it is to have a person pass away and ship the body back. Right in the cargo. Right. I, to this day, I don't know if it was true or not, or if she was trying. I, She had gone through, listen... From the symptoms I saw, there were a lot of symptoms that this guy was dead for quite a while. Right. So maybe she was hoping to get through TSA. I guess she, she figured the seat was already paid for. Might as well use it. Exactly. Look, I don't know how funny of a story that is, but it's uh, when yeah. you think about it, it's, you know, I remember it's one of the craziest ones. 
When I first uh, joined the agency and I was doing a, a, a detail at the airport, and uh, I'm at the airport, I'm at one of the checkpoints, and I'm standing, and all of a sudden I hear them yelling, Leo. Leo. Oh, I thought you were leading into your bathroom story. No, I'm not going to go into that one. Okay. Uh, Leo. They're, they're yelling, Leo. And I'm standing there, and I hear people shouting, Leo. And I'm wondering, who the hell is Leo? Because, you know, where I came from, right. I, I never heard it before. Right. It stands for law enforcement officer, so they're yelling, Leo. And finally, I, I caught on, and I looked. And I see this guy. He's looking at me, and he's got something in his hand, and he keeps looking at me and, and looking down the uh, concourse. And all of a sudden, he just throws whatever's in his hand. And it was a uh, packet of cocaine. But, you know, it was funny standing there, Leo. Hey, hey yeah. Leo. And I'm like, who the hell is Leo? Yeah, you got to get used to a whole new terminology. Yeah, I absolutely did. Well, me and you, I know I know. there's other stories we have. We don't have time for them now. But there's been a lot of crazy stuff we've seen at the airport. You know? It was definitely entertaining. And uh, you'll come back. Absolutely. And uh, we'll have many more discussions. Just make sure uh, you have better food. I will, uh, I will definitely, <laughs> definitely do that. Um, all right. Well, it's about time to wrap things up. Uh, we had another great discussion, I think, and I want to thank you, John, again for coming on. It was a pleasure to have you here. I really appreciate you coming. People don't know what you sacrificed, and I just w want to go into that real quick. Uh, your, your dog. I know you never leave your dog alone, and to to come on to to be with me, yeah, you, you actually sacrifice. you sacrifice, and you actually boarded the dog and i know you wouldn't do that for just anybody and i appreciate it thank you very no, I, much and you know what i, I gotta tell you uh, you know we know each other since 2004 we've worked together we were in the detective bureau to, and let me tell you something rob is one of the greatest cops i've ever worked with in my entire career and i'm very happy he's doing this and hopefully people learn what it is like to you know live the life and go through the stories and hear everything going on but there's nobody better than rob thank you and uh, like i told richie when he's on i'll, I'll give you the five bucks there for the show <laughs> <laughs> i want to remind everybody you can join our broadcast live every thursday at seven on our observations facebook page or youtube page <coughs> if you'd like to appear as a guest on the show book your appearance request on the observations facebook page or email the show at observations at yahoo.com for more information and as we do at the end of every episode, we're here to honor the lives of our fallen brothers and sisters. Tonight, we honor Lieutenant Trey Brennan Pritchard of the Sepulpa Police Department in Oklahoma, whose end of watch was on this day, August 15th in 2015. Lieutenant Pritchard was shot and killed while intervening in a domestic violence incident while off duty at a hotel in Midwest City, Oklahoma. Pritchard had accompanied his cousin to a hotel to re retrieve a car that the cousin's son had taken without permission. Lieutenant Pritchard remained in the vehicle as his cousin went into the hotel to speak with the son. While inside the room, the son shot and killed the cousin. Hearing the shot, Lieutenant Pritchard responded to the room and was also fatally shot. Two subjects were arrested and charged with Lieutenant Pritchard's murder. Lieutenant Pritchard had served with the Sepulpa Police Department for 24 years. He survived by his wife and five children. These are the sacrifices that we make. Like to thank everybody for tuning in. God bless everybody. Stay safe. And before we go, I, I promised uh, my son-in-law I would give him a shout out. Mike, this is for you. I owe you. I want to thank the producers for another fantastic show. Danny, Tony, thank you very much. John, it was a pleasure, and I definitely want to have you back. Thank you. Okay, and we'll it be back a, next Thursday fun. at seven. Thank you. <laughs>